Hello and welcome to the third episode of Modern Day Rebels, the podcast that tells the stories of pioneers who actively create the lives they want to live. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, hello, my name is Julia Frank and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm fascinated by the question of how we can live both better and more meaningful lives, and I'm excited to explore this topic with you. Each week, I sit down with a modern-day rebel from a range of different personal backgrounds and industries to chat about why they decided to live life differently, how they managed to do so in the first place, and what they do now to sustain, maintain, and continuously transform their everyday lives. In today's episode, I connect with Marcus Eld, founder of Wild Sweden and a true free spirit. Keeping with his approach to life, this podcast was recorded while he took a walk through the woods in Sweden. So if you hear birds or wind in the background, that's just Marcus and his element. We talk about how he studied computer science to make everyone else happy, but realized after graduating that he never wanted an office job, and how a trip to Southeast Asia inspired him to become a wildlife guide. We chat about how the question of where can we go see wild moose set everything in motion and how he now welcomes nature-loving travelers from all around the world to see beavers, wolves, and bears to rewilder humans. Yes, you've heard that correctly. His mission is to make the world a wilder place. We also talk about how he uses nature-based tourism as a way to support his community and how he is now evolving his business to focus on local tourism in an attempt to shift people's mindsets that you don't need to travel halfway around the world to connect with nature. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right. Well, hi, Marcus. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. Thank you for welcoming me to this podcast. <laughs> so kind of to get things started, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? All right. So um, I'm from Sweden and I live in Sweden uh, on the countryside. I have two daughters and a girlfriend. And I, what I do is I run a, a nature-based tourism business called Wild Sweden, where I take primarily foreign people out into the forest to meet wild animals and track wild animals, and especially moose, wolves, beavers, and brown bears. And we, we stay in tents, we go canoeing and hiking, cook food outdoors, we make fires every day, we sit around the campfire, we talk, we swim in lakes, we do saunas, things like that. Very cool. And because of this kind of the nature of this podcast, why do you think someone would could refer to you as a modern day rebel or what is it about your approach that you think is slightly different from the way things are typically approached? Well, I don't know if I'm a rebel, but uh, a lot of people, I have about a thousand guests in a season and a lot of people, I think I'm inspiring people to live a more natural life, closer to nature, mm -hmm. to spend time more, more time out in nature. And ultimately a lot of our, a lot of my guests are asking like, how can I become a nature guide too? How did you do this? Uh, mm -hmm. what, did you, what can I do to become a nature guide? So I have a very free work and I can decide what I want to do and, and what, where I want to be and which kind of people to join my tours. And uh, so it's a very free, it's a lot of work, but it's nice work and I get to spend a lot of time outdoors. And I think people are inspired by that and a lot of people would like to have a more outdoorsy 
lifestyle and uh, my lifestyle is definitely outdoorsy but you didn't always start off as that right you you studied computer science to begin with yes yes a friend of mine plus my parents they recommended me to study computer science because there would be future in that they said so i studied at three different universities actually computer science programming and making websites things like that i i enjoyed that too actually and uh, I enjoyed being a student and I didn't really have a plan in life. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And then after four and a half years of studying, I had my master degree, my diploma. My mother was very proud. She put it on the wall. It was a gold frame. <laughs> and, then I, and then I told her that, okay, you know what? It was nice to study computer science and I've learned a lot and it was just good to be at universities. And I feel like an adult now but from now on i'm gonna try to figure out what i really want to do and i know that i don't want to sit at a computer in an office mm-hmm. together with 400 other people programming with headphones and and wait for my holiday so that i can go canoeing instead perhaps go canoeing <laughs> in the first place and i don't know i didn't know what what i wanted to do but i decided i don't i'm not gonna work with computer science at all how did you get from Okay, so this is, I've kind of done what, what my, my parents and potentially your siblings and friends had expected of you to the point that you are at now, the founder of Wild Sweden. Yeah, so since I didn't really have a plan, I just knew what I didn't want to do, which was sit, sit by a computer. My brother recommended me to go backpacking in Southeast Asia. So I actually bought a cheap flight ticket with Aeroflot, the Russian company, and I flew down to Bangkok. And a week later, I ended up in Laos and I bought a bicycle and I was cycling around Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia. And in the end, a few months later, I was in Indonesia, in Sumatra. And for some reason, I had a Lonely Planet guidebook in my hand with an orangutan on the front cover. And I thought, okay, orangutan, Sumatra, maybe I'll just join a tour to try and see orangutans and get out in the jungle. So I joined a basic but nice jungle trip with some local guides. Mm-hmm. They took me out to sleep in the jungle and to see see wild orangutans and other nice wildlife. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool job. I would love to be a nature guide. And it seemed like they were hanging out in hammocks. And when it was low season, they were just relaxing and swimming in the river. And then occasionally some guests came and they took them out to see wild animals again. So, so I asked them if I can join their team. And how do I become an, uh, an orangutan guide? It turned out that I don't know, there were many orangutan guides <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that easy and you don't make that much money and maybe, I, I mean, it couldn't even, it was not even near a, a Swedish salary in any way. So I went home back to Sweden at the end of the trip when my money was had run out, came back home to my mother and she was expecting me to find a job in computer science and I didn't, so I didn't have money, I didn't have a place to stay, I didn't have a plan. I went to the local tourist information office in Westeros, which was close to where my mother lived. And I'd never been in there. But I was interested in this tourism business and how to become a nature guide in Sweden. So I entered the, the tourist office and I didn't dare to ask them, how can I become a nature guide? But they asked me, so how can we help you? And I said, ah, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to go out again. But then a couple came in by accident. I thought I would really like to hear what they are asking for what do they want so it was a couple from austria and i thought okay what could a couple from austria possibly want to do in sweden we don't have any jungles we'd have no orangutans no elephants 
and nothing interesting really. Sweden is probably the most boring country in the world, just green forests and not much people and, and so on. So I didn't think Sweden was exotic enough for anyone else to have a reason to go here. But they said, okay, now we traveled all the way from Austria. Where can we find moose? Can you show us where can we find wild moose? So I was super interested to hear what uh, the information desk had to give them as an answer. She said, well, you can take a train to Stockholm and you can go to the zoo. Mm. And that's when I realized, wait a second, they're sending them to the zoo. Imagine if I went to Sumatra and I, I asked some local guides to take me to see orangutans and they would say, well, we have orangutans in these jungles around here. The rainforests are full of orangutans, but you have to go back to Medan, the capital of Sumatra, to see an orangutan, which is fenced in the zoo. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. And I went out from the, I walked out from the tourist information office and I thought, okay, maybe I, be, I can become a moose guide. But I didn't know where to find moose and I had no plan. That was the first part of the story. But then, of course, I did something about it. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know where to start. If Am I going to start a business or do I take a course in nature guiding or do I have to find the moose first? And I thought, yeah, may, probably I have to find the moose. So I borrowed my mother's car. I drove up to Hinskatebari, which is actually where I am right now. And I looked around in the forest and suddenly I saw three moose walking across the road. And I had never really been out looking for moose. I had just seen them occasionally because I grew up close to the forest and uh, in a rural area. But I'd never been interested in moose really. But now I was super interested and there were three moose. And I thought, okay, three moose, what do I do now? Is, is this when I start a company or do I have to take a course in how to become a moose guide or whatever? I went home uh, to my mother's place. I opened my computer and I downloaded some pictures of moose and I quickly made a website about moose watching in Sweden. <laughs> and then I, just to see what it was going to look like, I mean, does this look anything like a business? Like, is this how you do it? And a picture of me in the forest, like this is the expert moose guide that you will go out with. <laughs> and a green minibus. I borrowed the green minibus picture from Indonesia. The moose were probably from Canada. And uh, <laughs> and a log cabin. I know I stole a log cabin picture from Finland. And then some people doing barbecue over open fire. And I thought, oh, that's a great package. Like green minibus uh, with Indonesian number plates, by the way. And then <laughs> some some Canadian moose, a Finnish forest cabin and some people barbecuing. And then I thought, just as an idea, like, is this what a website could look like? And what would a package like this cost? So I put some price in Swedish crowns. And then I thought, okay, I don't know. Maybe I can go to the tourist information office and talk to them about this and like see this am i on the right path but i forgot about it and one or two weeks later i had a phone call by someone asking me or saying hello i'm calling from russia i would like to book a moose safari <laughs> and i'm like wait a second why are you calling me i'm not a moose guy i don't have a business i have nothing but i had a website i realized that was up there and someone had found it through alta vista this is 2002, so it's before Google even. But this Russian guy had found my website that was just up as a test website, and he wanted to book a moose safari with an expert moose guide. And uh, I remember I borrowed my mother's car. I'm really bad at saying no. I didn't say no. I said, of course, yes, I'll come and pick you up next Thursday at the train station. We go out and see some moose. And I borrowed my mother's car. I drove around to find, I found some moose again. I thought, okay, wait there. There's a Russian guy coming on Thursday. You have to to show up when he comes. And then uh, what did I do next? I, uh, yeah, another phone call came in from another Austrian couple asking, 
do you have any planned tours for this coming week? Oh, yes, I have a tour on Thursday. And can we <laughs> sign up? Yeah, I still have two spots left for you. So they signed up as well. Then I had three people and, and I had like a stomach pain beginning. Like, oh no, expert moose guide, green minibus, <laughs> pictures of Canadian <laughs> moose. This log cabin, where's the log cabin, by the way? Anyway, I managed to find a log cabin. I rented a green minibus with Swedish number plates. I took these three people out to see moose. We slept in this log cabin. We barbecued over open fire. I just shared whatever we saw. I knew where blueberries are and these mushrooms and these things. And yeah, we saw some moose and everyone was happy. And they didn't know that I wasn't an expert moose guide. So, <laughs> But uh, I did the tour and I thought, okay, I'm never going to do it again. But the website remained. I replaced some pictures. Uh, I increased the rates of the tours. And I had more bookings coming from South Africa, China, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Netherlands. And actually, that's what I've been doing since then. Which is quite interesting because you now get kind of nature-loving travelers from all over the world to see a place that you originally didn't think would be as interesting as, you know, the typical jungles or, or rainforests. So over that time, yes. how can you kind of, how, how have you kind of evolved? Because you now have a couple of employees. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized more and more that when people came, they found Sweden super exciting or it's typically people from larger cities who are not used to sitting by a campfire or sleeping in a tent or, or, or hearing wolves howl and things like that. So I realized more and more that I, I'm sitting on a gem here. Like uh, uh, we have the right of public access. Anyone can go out in the forest and enjoy. We have quite a lot of wild, large wild mammals, big silent forests and thousands of lakes nearby. So the more, the more people I met, the more I realized that Sweden is actually a very exotic place for, for a lot of people who have never been here or who are not used to being in nature. And then they began to ask for like, what, what is that? Well, I think it's a beaver lodge, I told someone. <laughs> but why would that be interesting? Like, wow, beavers, you have beavers here. Yes, we have beavers here. Oh, can we go with you tomorrow to try and see them? Like, of course, but why would you want to see a beaver? <laughs> and, then, and then I began with beaver tours. And then one day we were out and the wolves were howling. And someone said, wow, the wolves were howling. Let's go there. Let's put the tent up. And suddenly I had wolf tours. And then people asked, where can we see bears? And then, then I started bear tours. Can we go canoeing? Can we see the northern lights? Can we cook food outdoors? Can we hike in this fantastic national park? And then I realized I need some colleagues. So I actually stumbled upon a guy in the forest while wolf tracking one winter, and he became my first colleague. He's not working with me anymore, but yeah, I have some employed guides uh, and then and Frida who is taking care of all the bookings and administrations because I quite soon found out that, okay, I didn't want to sit by a computer, but if I have 400 bookings and payments coming in and people are emailing and calling and asking questions, I actually need someone to take care of that so that I can continue to be a guide and be outdoors. So I still do guiding, but I also have employed guides who do guided tours and I'm all the time trying to get rid of the things that I get bored by, like <laughs> like uh, registering bookings or checking payments or doing accounting and uh, things like that. My job nowadays is to do guided tours, especially the new guided tours that I've developed, and also to develop new guided tours that, that we haven't had before. So I think that's, that's quite I mean. interesting because you, you, 
initially you started very much out based on demand, right? It, se- it seems like somebody came and was like, oh my God, like beavers and, and moose and bears. Are there any, any kind of ones where you felt like, oh, I'm, I'm just offering this tour because we can, but actually this doesn't fit in with what I want to do? Yes, I have done some mistakes. And for example, someone told me that March, April is a very good time for conferences and you should do conference activities. And they don't want to go out to see moose and be silent in the forest and be out for hours and sleep by the fire. They want like two or three hours throwing axes, uh, doing mm-hmm. archery, for example, or building bird nests or, or just uh, drinking beer by the fire. So I did that for a few years as well offering small groups of, of corporate groups coming out in the forest to reconnect with nature. But really, they didn't really reconnect with nature. They came in their conference clothing and they threw some axes and, and drank some beer. But that wasn't my thing. So, so I quit after, after a while. And I've done a lot of mistakes. Also, I'm not very good at taking care of... I have children of my own, but I'm not good at taking care of other people's children so i used to have family events in the forest where there was lots of children running around (laughs) and we had ant safari for example and we had different things in the forest i love to play with my kids in the forest and maybe they're friends but not 10 20 kids at the same time so i quit that too i'm making lists every winter like okay what do i like about my job and what do i don't like there's always things ending up on the things i don't like list and then I try to either give it to one of my colleagues who perhaps enjoy it, or I find some someone to outsource it to, or I just take it off there. I try to, to like eliminate the, the tasks so that no one has to do them. In the, in the past couple of years, you've gotten some pretty big projects as well, right? You've developed your own forest camp and your own eco-launch. How was that kind of in terms of the next step for for your business or your vision? Yeah, well, in one way, it's nicer to not have any, to have as low fixed costs as possible, especially now in Corona times, I realize, because we actually have very low fixed costs. I'm paying the guides by the hour and I don't own any hotel or guest house. But I did own Kolarbyn Eco Lodge, but I sold it to a friend because I didn't really want to own it. But I still wanted to use the Eco Lodge to have my to accommodate my guests. But then last year I started a tented camp called Kosho Forest Camp, and I want to do that because I want to develop it. But in in the long run, I don't feel I want to own it. So I don't really I don't really enjoy owning things. I just want things to be there in, in my way in the way I want them. So mm-hmm. I think, I guess that's why I'm developing Kosher Forest Camp so that my guests can stay there so that we can do guided canoe tours and other types of tours around the bear watching and so on. And kind of, is that all part of a greater vision of, is it about making Sweden a wilder place or, or cause you've got a very strong vision with wild Sweden of kind of supporting the community as well as, as supporting and protecting nature. If you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so actually, I'm me and most of my friends are very much into figuring out ways to protect nature in Sweden. And nature in Sweden is mainly forests. So it's about protecting old growth forests and, and forests that are more natural than the plantations that the big forest companies work with and, and arrange. So I really want to do something that can save Sweden's forest, the biodiversity in Sweden's forest. And 
I have friends who are organized into activist groups or conservation groups, but I realized quite early that actually tourism is one way to save nature because everything nowadays is measured in numbers, in, in, in figures, uh, mm-hmm. cash. So instead of saying, because there are already a lot of people saying, save the forest because there is biodiversity or save the forest because there's a golden eagle or don't do a mine here because the reindeer herders need it and that's a, a culture that must live on. But I've realized that it's also quite effective to say, save this forest because there's lots of tourists coming here or, or perhaps few tourists coming but paying money and contributing to the local society. So if there weren't old growth, growth forests, if there weren't moose, if there weren't wolves, in these forests, then these tourists wouldn't come and they wouldn't spend their money here. They would go to Finland or they would go to Iceland or, or Sumatra instead. So my mission is that while Sweden should act, should be an example that, for example, politicians and local people can use to say like, okay, we need to save this. We need to save nature, not only because of the biodiversity, but also because it's an income for us. And I know that politicians are using Wild Sweden and nature-based tourism as an example, saying, okay, there is also nature-based tourism and that brings in this much money to Sweden each year. And therefore, we need to protect more of the nature and the forests uh, for people to come here and enjoy. And that is one of the arguments to save, to save nature. And I'm trying to, to, I want to be, I want politicians to have examples uh, to use and, and while Sweden is one of them there are many others of course amazing and what's quite interesting too is that you you don't really take tourists to typical tourist areas no because <laughs> I don't like tourist areas myself and I, w- I want to when I travel abroad I've traveled quite a lot I realize that I don't really enjoy going to all the touristy places like a lot of other people don't but I often ended up at the touristy places anyway like okay there's the Eiffel Tower oh there's the now I ended up in a tourist restaurant. And uh, the third time I went to some destination, that's usually when I came to the more local places and I got off the trails. So my goal with my tours is that even if people come for the first time, if they go with Wild Sweden, they will get to the places where they would have come if they came the third time. Kind of. You <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah, of course. So in terms yeah, okay. of this idea of a nature-based tourism and using that as a way to protect the nature, but also in terms of the way that we've kind of moved a society. And I know that's a very sweeping statement, but what is it that you found by creating these encounters with people and wild animals and and connecting people to nature that you're essentially achieving? There are many advantages of taking people out in nature. One is, of course, that people instantly usually feel good when they get into nature. 10 minutes after you get sat, sit down by a campfire, you you feel better and your body system changes a bit. So people immediately feel good about being in nature. And it can be long-lasting effects too if you stay longer. And also um, people who spend time in nature are also much more likely to preserve, to, to become engaged or motivated to save nature for the future. If you have never been in an old growth forest, it's not very likely that you will work or spend time or effort trying to, to try to save old growth forests because you've never been in one. And if you've never seen an otter or a squirrel or a hedgehog or a wolf, it, it's not very likely that you will be one of the people standing on the front line saying, we need to save these species. So mm-hmm. that's another positive aspect that 
if we take people out and we show that this is an old growth forest and it wouldn't be here if this and this guy didn't work to to save it or uh, this is uh, now we've seen the moose but did you know that there are 100,000 moose shot each year in Sweden why are they shot and is that the problem or is it the sustainable population and if you enjoy nature that's when people change and if they get a chance they will fight to preserve nature as well whereas if you live in a city and you rarely never go to nature then it's not very likely that you will fight to save it either and also it gives i mean i only have local guides in the areas where we work so they also become very engaged in saving nature and they tell their parents and friends and their communities that they're actually making money and the livelihood from from people coming from other parts of the world who finds moose and these forests and this river and lake super exciting and exotic there are many positive aspects of nature-based tourism and not just wild sweden my company but any nature-based tourism and uh, what is kind of this idea behind rewilding rewilding is a bit of a new concept or a new buzzword that's come up maybe 10 years ago it is all about making the world a bit wilder for example more and more people move to the big cities and in large parts of europe and the world countryside is being abandoned and in these places we have a chance to allow wildlife and nature to return to more of its original state so there are many rewilding projects all around the world where you are actively helping nature to return to a more wild state for example by reintroducing species or by taking down river dams so to let the rivers run wild again so that salmon can go up in the rivers so that you can go fishing or so that animals can live off from fish in the rivers. So that is one aspect of rewilding. I think it's time now with all the knowledge that we have and when we have realized that wild nature is, that we, that we are all dependent on wild nature, that we should start working towards making our surroundings wilder again. And not just treating them as a resource of logging and mining and damming rivers. And there's another aspect of rewilding as well. And that is rewilding of people, rewilding of humans. And some people claim that are two different things, like rewilding of nature, rewilding of people. But I think in order to, in order to rewild nature, people has to be rewilded. Otherwise, no one is going to rewild nature. What does that mean, rewilding humans? Well, rewilding humans, a lot of people call it, call it reconnect with nature, but mm-hmm. uh, that implies actually, I've been philosophizing a bit about reconnecting with nature. Reconnecting with nature means that people must understand that they are a part of nature and that they actually are nature themselves. We, I am a, I am a mammal, I'm an animal, I am nature. It's not that I'm a human and everything else is nature. Mm-hmm. And And if I think that I need to reconnect with nature, actually, let's put it in another way. Some people say, I would like to reconnect with nature. But then what I actually would like to do is to make that person understand that you are already super connected with nature. You are, in fact, nature yourself. You don't have to reconnect with nature. Reconnecting with nature actually just means that to understand that you are already nature, but also maybe in practical words to live a bit wilder lives to to eat lunch in in the park or to go canoeing in the summer instead of laying by the pool even just to light a candle by your bed at night and look into the fire or it could also be go hunting i'm not a hunter but that's also a way of living a wilder life or go fishing or camping out and in that way we are constant we are 
we are reminded that we are part of nature and how beautiful nature is and how dependent we are on nature. And then in the long run, that will also make us take decisions to save nature because we realize we are a part of it. And kind of saving that nature, In you mentioned, you know, we're all dependent on, on wild nature. In what ways are we dependent on wild nature? Well, we are breathing air, we are drinking water, and we are everything we eat comes from nature. So, of course, we are dependent on nature, but there's a disillusion that people think that nature is something that I can choose. Like, I've, I've even met some people recently that said, well, I'm not very much interested in nature. I'm not a nature kind of person. I understand what they mean, but they are completely wrong. <laughs> They're completely wrong. <laughs> so uh, they, they are as much a mammal as a moose or a hedgehog. Oh, sorry, a hedgehog is not a mammal, perhaps. I don't, we don't have hedgehogs. I don't know why I mentioned hedgehogs. <laughs> we don't have Bears. hedgehogs. Yet. I've never seen one. <laughs> so humans are mammals. We are animals. And we belong in nature. So when people say they have to reconnect with nature, they just don't realize that they are, they are in fact, already nature. So with Wild Sweden and, and your vision there, you've, you, know, you've, you're, you seem to be very clear about like, the things that you want to do, which I think is really interesting because as your business grew, there was this opportunity for it, your job to turn into something you tried to avoid in the first place, kind of sitting in, in behind a computer and doing all the admin stuff. But also yes. as that business grows, there's almost this, I think it's sometimes easier to use the path of least resistance. And by the nature of what you do, kind of no pun intended here, it's really important for you to reduce, reuse, recycle. How does that kind of play out in your day to day? I know that some people get their fixes by consuming stuff. I mainly get my fixes by having nature experiences. Like last mm -hmm. night, I had a sauna, a floating sauna on the lake, and I jumped in the lake. And today I'm going out in nature and collecting some material to make some forest handicraft. And later tonight, we're going out to try and see if we can hear the wolves howl in a new area. So in one way, I'm, I'm trying to consume less by consuming nature more. Not consuming nature, but mm -hmm. experiencing nature. And then, well, the practical things like you mentioned, I do recycling at home. I, I plant a bit of my own food in my garden, but I live far from a perfect sustainable life. I could probably do a lot more as well. But within kind of the fact that you are going in nature and you're, you're very dependent in terms, of, in terms of the natural rhythm of it, how have you noticed that that impacts your life of living with that natural rhythm of nature? Well, nature calms me down a lot and uh, it inspires me. I can be super inspired by the lake. The ice on the lake is melting and soon I will be able to swim in the same lake that I was ice skating on a week or two earlier. Living in Sweden, we have four very distinct seasons, which is also affects my life quite a lot and everyone's lives in in Sweden, it's super dark in the winter, snowy and cold, and I need to sleep one hour more in winter, and I need to be a bit more indoors, but I also need to make sure that I have all the right equipment so that I can be out and sit by a campfire or ski through the forest and move around freely or even have a car with a four-wheel four drive car to be able to enjoy nature as much in winter as any other season. And then in the, in the spring now, everything is, the first flowers have come out, the, I'm looking at the birch tree where I I'm going to actually drill a hole and drink some birch sap here later on. <laughs> but the leaves are coming out and everything is coming to life. And, and also 
myself and, and the people that I meet are also a bit like flowers. They're opening up, they're talking, they're laughing more. We're not shaking hands because of the corona, but everyone's more happy. And then when summer comes, it's you can't go to sleep because the sun doesn't set really. And life changes with the season a lot. It affects me a lot and everyone else who are here. And then autumn comes and we're closing, we're finishing things. We're not starting any new projects. We're thinking about the summer and, and the spring. What did we do? What can we do next year? already, even if only half year has passed, or, or three, three quarters. And then during winter, some people completely close themselves in and they watch Netflix, whereas I actually really, enjoy. it's my favorite season to put on skis. I have several types of skis that I can go downhill or snowboard or splitboard or cross country or forest deep snow. I have four, four or five types of skis. And then ice skates to go ice skating if there's no snow, but frozen lakes. But I definitely spend much more time indoors during winter and I, it's difficult to start new projects because it's dark and, and cold and so on. So nature really affects me and especially with the seasons. And it's amazing to have these four seasons. And, and in, the, in Swedish Lapland, in northern Sweden, there's actually eight seasons. So because you have spring, <laughs> winter and, and so on. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's really cool. Having, having yeah. twice as many seasons. <laughs> yes. And kind of following up on that whole idea of like, oh, like, you know, planning for the next year and what's next and using those very natural rhythms to kind of start planning what's upcoming. One of the things I know you were kind of talking about even last year already was this idea of increasing local tourism and now seeing that the world is changing and people aren't traveling at the moment. Is that something that you're looking into more? Yeah. Two years ago, I realized that it feels a bit crazy that people from Australia fly to Sweden to see Northern Lights. I really enjoy having them here. We have amazing time together. We see the Northern Lights and they experience things and it's more exotic the further away you come from. But I also feel like there are so many people in Stockholm who have never seen the Northern Lights. And why do those people go to Australia to see kangaroos and, and the Australian people come to Sweden to see the Northern Lights? Because we think... It's more exotic the further we go. Two years ago, I decided that within within 10 years, I said, because I didn't really know, within 10 years, I w- I'm going to try to have more than 50% Swedish people on my tours. Mm-hmm. And now two years later, last week, I posted a Swedish website for the first time, wildsweden.se. Mm-hmm. And that was the first step. We just translated some of the tours that Swedish people may want to join because of the corona situation. I don't think many foreign people would come. So it kind of mm-hmm. forced me to to do it now rather than wait and then the next step will be that the coming uh, months and, and years i will develop tours that are specifically made for swedish people so for example i think a swedish person will not are would not be very likely to sign up for a moose safari to see moose during the evening. <laughs> in the same way like a person from Sydney would probably not sign up for a kangaroo tour because they're kind of everywhere. But I think that a Swedish person would sign up for an outdoor cooking course or foraging for berries and mushrooms and learning how to prepare them over open fire or uh, other types of tours that Swedish people would find more interesting. So that's, that's going to be my next mission. And kind of to, to round things up here, I typically ask three questions at the end, but I actually kind of want to ask you four and I'll tell you which one that <laughs> okay. is. So yes. the first one I always ask is, is there a book that kind of changed your life or shifted your mindset? Well, 
a long time ago, I someone gave me, or it, it was in a guest house in Asia somewhere, a book by Eckhart Tolle that a lot mm-hmm. of people have read. I think it's just called Now. Is it called Now? Power of Now. That's the one I got in my hand. I've read many similar books since then. I don't, no, not many actually. I don't read many books, but that that book helped me quite a lot on the right path. And that's why I kind of wanted to wanted to ask about that. Is like, is there an animal in the way that it lives that has shifted your mindset? Well, I have spent a lot of time out with with the wolves and i think it's really fascinating what fascinates me the most is, is that or actually all animals that i see they are well they have a fur but they're basically naked they don't have a jacket or a hat or <laughs> gore-tex shoes so they are really adapted to nature in the nature where they belong and they can walk in the dark and they're not afraid of ghosts or or murderers in the forest they <laughs> And and I remember when I was a new guide on the, some of the first tours I did, I was like, okay, the forest is dark. I don't dare to go in, but it looks like the guests are expecting me to go, walk straight through this dark forest. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just do it. And then I have actually been inspired more and more about it would be so ridiculous if a wolf was afraid of the dark. Or And I've seen moose swim across lakes and sleep on the frozen lake. and. Yeah, I see animals do things that I'm inspired by. So now I'm not afraid to swim across a lake, even if it's muddy. And I'm not afraid to walk in the dark or sleep out in the forest. And and I'm not afraid of the cold or I don't like the heat really, but I'm not afraid of it either. So, but moose and wolves is what I've been studying the most. So I guess those have been the ones that inspired me the most too. Really cool. And then the second one is, um, do you have a secret to success or what do you think your secret to success is? Yeah, okay, secret to success. Well, once I had a question, what have you, because I'm, I'm quite good at telling, answering the question, what have I done right? But mm-hmm. I don't know what I've done wrong. Like I, I've probably done a lot of mistakes because I try anything. I say yes to most things and therefore I make a, I do make a lot of mistakes, things that don't work. Constantly I do that. But I, as soon as I realize it doesn't work, I forget about it and I jump on another thing. I do that constantly, all the time. I jump on something else and that might work. And if it works, I surf on that wave for a while until it doesn't work. And then I jump on something else that might work. And if it doesn't work, I just get off it. So... I'm never focusing on the mistakes and therefore I can I can hardly mention what mistakes did I do because I don't I never remember I don't pay attention to them but I'm very good at telling people what I'm doing good and <laughs> and when I tell people that this works this really works this is doing great or I succeeded with this then people want to cooperate and they say well well done like everything seems to work for you well well, yes, I only mentioned the things that work. So I guess it's a combination of being very flexible, not focusing on the mistakes, uh, daring to try new things all the time and not being afraid of failing and also actually telling people how, telling people about how good things are all the time. That makes me forget that there are difficult things and that makes people want to come to my tours and to cooperate and, and uh, so on. And kind of thinking back to that very, very beginning where you didn't quite know that, you know, you were going to end up here and you just knew, actually, I don't really want to do computer science. Is there any advice that you would have liked to hear or you would, you would give yourself um, when you started to kind of do things differently? First of all, my mother did actually give me a good advice. Uh, and that was that I can do anything in this world. I can 
I can get any job. Don't go and wait for a job to be available. Create your own job. Do whatever you like. So that was a, something I would like to hear and that I heard too. That really helped me. So I would like to tell other people that. <laughs> Don't just take a job that people expect you to take, but do something fun and that would be a job. Anyway, there was something that I, that I didn't hear that I would li- have liked to hear and I could, would like to tell other people who are thinking of starting a business. And that is that I wasn't really thinking long term. People said, well, you try and you see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you can quit next year. And something that then that I've done is I've actually when people ask me, so how is Wild Sweden doing? I'm saying it's going really well, but we'll see next year if I continue. I mean, if it continues to go well, I will continue. And therefore, people continue to ask me all the time, are you still running Wild Sweden? <laughs> like, yes. Why are you asking? Yeah, because last year you said that you will see if you're gonna do it next year. So I wanted to, I wanted to sound like cool and flexible, and we'll see if I'm gonna do this next year. But that also created an instability that people didn't trust that I was gonna do this for very long. And <laughs> I, so it's a long answer to your question. But my advice to myself would be, instead, say that I'm gonna do this for 200 years, no matter what. Then people and including myself and my employees and my partners feel more uh, would feel more trust in me i think i think i made the mistake of saying all the time we'll see what i do next year lastly if yeah. people want to find more about you where can they find you well you know i have a website wildsweden.com and and now se for the swedish but but and also facebook and pinterest and instagram but if you really want to join me like or privately into the forest, you can check the Instagram stories. I upload every day something. Yeah, yesterday it was a picture of a moose, of a wolf poo, and two <laughs> moose walking beside the road. And tonight it may be wolves howling or or me coming jumping in the lake after the sauna. So I rarely film myself actually, but I film what is around me every day, and I post it on Instagram stories at Wild Sweden. Great. We'll definitely check those out. Well, I'll let you return to return to the wolves. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording it. Wild nature is not something I stumble across often in London's busy streets. And this episode in particular was such a lovely reminder as to why I need to become a little bit wilder. If this conversation has helped you in any way or led to some insights, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. I would also be incredibly grateful if you could please write a review as this helps me record more episodes and makes it easier for others to find it. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Modern Day Rebels on Apple Podcasts, follow the podcast on Spotify, or listen in on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow at Modern Day Rebels on Instagram or sign up to the newsletter to stay up to date on each week's episode and receive some practical tips and tricks you can easily apply in your day to day. You can find all the links in the show notes. See you next week.